<laughs> That's as basic as it gets. Yeah. Yeah. Well, glad you're here with us this morning. Um, glad you chose to be with us here at TCAR and hope you find this to be a warm and inviting place. We're not pressured by us, per se, but maybe God would speak to you and you would take your next step with Him. And so we're in a series about discipleship. That's what we've been talking about. This may be our last, maybe one more next Sunday. But talking about family discipleship today, it's something we started last week. And some general discipleship principles in there as well uh, that can help you from God's Word that anybody can follow uh, if you're following Jesus. So let's get right into Deuteronomy 6. And we introduced last week what's called... The, us, us English-speaking people say uh, Shema, but... Uh, in Hebrew, it's pronounced more Shema, okay? So, excuse my uh, non-Hebrew speaking self. Um, I've got my Hebrew-Greek study Bible, and I look up the words, you know, and those things happen, but you have to go online and do all the research on how do you actually properly say this. Um, not that you're going to go away going, you got that wrong, or speaking Hebrew. But anyway, I, I don't either, it's okay. But it's called the Shema or Shema as we would look at it and say. But it's the, found, the foundational education given to, to Jewish children. It's where they start. It's one of the first things they're taught. Um, it's, it's, it, it is very important to uh, the Jews even today uh, from Scripture. Um, but from, from Deuteronomy, or what we talked about last week is called the second law. That's basically what Deuteronomy means. Um, each, and, and what it is, is if you think about it, is second law. It's the children of Israel, they've, they've, the God's people have come out of uh, Egypt. You know, they've had their exodus. They've wandered in the desert for 40 years. So these, Ones who were babies, the, the children, they've been in the desert 40 years. The parents have died off in the wilderness. So now these, these kids are now adults and Moses is, is reminding or passing this law on to this generation who were children when they left Egypt. And so uh, each, the, the lesson there being each generation needs to be handed down or the torch passed. We need to teach the younger generation uh, about our faith and pass it on to them. And I would say this, it's not so much as it were the law for them and now the New Testament Jesus for us and that love for God is basically what you find and what we're going to read is passing on that love for God. And every one of you have a story to tell if you're a Christian, especially to your children. You have a story to tell, a testimony of what God has done for you and has shown you, and you need to be speaking those things to the next generation. And I love seeing the next generation step up and find their place in the church. And and, and so what we need to remember is, I, I've had my exodus, I need to make sure I have a Deuteronomy or passing of the what I have learned or my freedom and what God has done on to, to the next generation. And you have... Hopefully, if you're a Christian, had your exodus and you need to make sure you follow that Deuteronomy as well. And so 
um, you need that Deuteronomy, which is the going and making disciples part, especially of your family. And so Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. These words which I am commanding you today, and this is Moses speaking again to the to the He's been like on a three-week rant, okay, is where this is at, like, like with these people. He's been speaking for like, this is part of a three-week deal. He's teaching them before they go into the promised land as they've been wandering in the desert and they're about to cross the Jordan. He wants to make sure. He says, these words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontals on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And that last part, I know sounds weird, the rest of it may not, but when it talks about uh, on your forehead and, and on your wrists. And even Jews today will still do this. They took this very literally and uh, would make a little leather box and put certain scriptures in them, some from Deuteronomy and, and from this and, and from some other, a uh, couple other passages where they would put these um, in this little box and strap it to their head literally so as they went along in front of them, they could see this thing right here. I mean, if you've ever had, you know, something on your face, you know, it's hard not to, like, I don't know why, Brady will appreciate this, where'd Brady go? You know, the, the, the glasses holder right here from, was it the jerk? He made that, sorry, that's a bad reference probably, you know, he put that thing on their glasses so they could take them on and off, and yeah, right? And made people go cross-eyed, Right? So, there's this handle right here on their glasses, and your eyes are just drawn to it. So they had this thing on their head that, that was there, and they could see this all the time, like wearing a baseball hat, and you see the bill all the time. So as they went about their life, they were constantly reminded of those of the Shema and the, and the, the laws and the things God had taught them and what's to be their focus. And so they would take that literally, not necessarily the intent when you read these words which I'm commanding you today shall be on your heart, but back then during the law they they took these things literally very seriously. They would actually strap them the, on their wrists and they'd tie this around their head and then they would literally write, if you go to a, a Jewish uh, synagogue today, if you go to a, a person who's a Jew, their house, you'll you'll see that you probably will see this. I mean it's it's probably through the whole building in a lot of Jewish synagogues is on the side of the door there will be, it's usually a cylindrical, a cylinder type box. And they'll have these scriptures put inside of them um, hanging beside the doors. So it's very, very literal as they took it and we'll talk about what that means for us in just a moment. But then it goes on to say that after all this that once God has provided and blessed to make sure you don't forget about God, right? And, and that, that is why you, you, you do the previous things. That's why he's saying make sure and 
keep these in front of you. Always your focus on them because it's easy to forget God when things get going good. So make sure that you always keep these things before you. Keep God always before you as your focus. Not the blessings and not the provisions, but God. Let's see, for even for us today though, right? When we look at this and we go, well, yeah, obviously. I mean, who would do that? Right? You know, it's that whole thing of you read about the, the, the Israelites back in the Old Testament and things, God blesses, they are like, we love you and things go well and then they start to forget about God because things are so good and, well, I don't need God anymore, things are good. And so that all of a sudden they get themselves in trouble and God brings somebody in, takes them over. They're like, oh gosh, God, we're sorry, we repent, we turn back to you, we're sorry. And so things get going good again, and then when it's good, they tend to forget about God again. And it's this current, it's just this constant cycle, right? Anybody here ever found yourself in that cycle, right? I'm there, right? When things are, man, when things are great, it's so easy just to go, I'm okay, I don't, and just become self-reliant, right? So even for us today, even this service, like we can get as simple as, as this right here, what we're doing this morning in this church. It was God, is God, and will be God that should stay the focus or we miss out, right? It's, we didn't do this. You know, us here, people who have come before, I'm thankful for most, right? But they didn't do this. I didn't do this, right? Today will mean nothing without God as the focus and understanding that it's God that really does the work, that really empowers, that really is the focus. And today will mean nothing without God as the focus. Not anything we do in our great abilities or strength, right? And the outcome is His. Your life's the same way. Yes, we're to do our best. I want to be careful because a lot of times people go, well, it's just all faith. I'll just sit back on my rear end and wait for God to do something. No, God gives you opportunities. He gives you commands. He says, do these things. Here's the person you're supposed to be. So you go and do and be that person. Sorry, I was suddenly reminded of the great theology in a Tesla song. Um, it's not the life you choose, it's the life you live, right? Is that Tesla? Is that right? Yeah, thanks, Brady. Um, but, but you, it, regardless of the cards you're dealt, you you live the life that you're supposed to, not the life you're trying to choose for yourself or make for yourself. And so it's a thing of you, you go with the cards you're dealt, and 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 it's not. You just do your best. You know, it, it's 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 not just sit back and don't do anything. You do your best. And make the most of every opportunity. That's what the Bible says, right? But the outcome is His. We don't get all tore up if it don't come out the way we want just because we did our best. It's God who gave you that opportunity, the brain and the brawn to even be where you are or do what you... And He, he controls the outcome, okay? It's that word sovereign, right? We must always be thankful to God. Just like the Israelites here that went from following God to prosperity to pride to passivity then to idolatry. That was that cycle they 
would find themselves in. And we in our nation have done the same when you look at us as a nation and where we come from of, you know, just reliance on God and wanting freedom of the worship of God and the state not to have control over that worship of God, not of gods or of all these other things that we make it into today. The focus was God. Then prosperity came and we get prideful as a nation. Then we get passive and idolatry sits in. And that's that you see, you see it here too. And we in our nation have done the same. And us as the church must keep our lives from this pattern as well. We've got to be aware, right? Now keep in mind last week, as we talked about, if you remember the boundary series we used to do uh, about relationships, and so we talked about this last week, this first circle that you're in, you and God, that, that, that is the primary thing above all else. That's what this verse, this the Shema starts with, is the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and might. Is this is I first have to be in this relationship with God. There's things He and I talk about I don't talk about with anybody else. There's there are things I do for God I don't do for any, every, anybody else. And so we have our relationship is the relationship above all of the relationships. And if I treasure God and love God above all else, I'll get all the rest of these concentric circles that go out. I'll get those right. It'll just, it'll just come naturally, but I have to get that center part right. I can't start out here somewhere by loving my friends and coworkers and then my family and, and then God. I can, it, it, it starts in the middle in the center of that circle, then then past that circle, past that is, is to your family. It's the second circle, right? Marriage is the second circle where you and your spouse are in that circle together, each in your own circle with God first, but then in a boundary or a circle together in marriage in this one flesh relationship that... Uh, where the kids don't belong in there. There's, there's, your spouse comes before your kids. I hope everybody realizes that. And you know, you're supposed to uh, spoil your mate and discipline your children. But most people discipline their spouse and spoil their children, right? It's not the way that's supposed to work. But, but the, there's, there's that circle you're in. There's things you talk about you don't talk about with anybody else, not even your kids. And then from there. It, it goes to the kids, the family, your your friends, co-workers, and on out from there is how the boundaries of relationships work. And I don't have time to get into all the different nuances of those boundaries. But as we understand in family discipleship and discipleship in general, if you don't have that first circle right, you're not going to get the rest right. Okay? It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. Had, had some questions last week about the three-in-one nature of God after that and the word we use is Trinity. And, and you'll get this argument from some people, right? Well, the word Trinity is not in the Bible. Okay, well, the second coming is not in the Bible either, but we know that Jesus is coming back. The Bible clearly teaches that doctrine is in there that Jesus will return. We just call it the second coming. So don't let people get you tied up with that argument. Trinity is not in the Bible, but the doctrine or the teaching is from Genesis all the way through the Bible. I mean, it's very clear. Um, all the way back to Genesis, let us make man in our image, plural, right? And so it says, and so he, he made man, right? It goes from plural to singular. 
it, it cha it's interchangeable. Like you'd fail English class if you tried that yourself. But in the Bible, it works because it's God, the three in one. Okay, No way we'll ever fully get our minds around that. But that, yes, that word's not in the Bible, but um, the, the triune nature of God is all through the Bible. And so... Um, and just as the, the previous chapters, if you read before this in Deuteronomy, Moses is big in his speech, you know, for these three weeks on being careful of taking on the gods of the culture they're about to go into. Don't take on those gods. And, and don't, don't take in this polytheistic, many gods mentality. Don't adopt that. And, 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 and so, we have to be careful because people will sometimes try to prescribe to us, well, you, you have three gods, Father, Son, Holy Spirit as a Christian. That's what you say Scripture is, right? But we worship one God, not three. Okay? It's, it's interesting that the word here for God, um, the Lord, is this word Adonai, which is a word that is replaces Yahweh because Yahweh's just four consonants. We won't get into all that. It's very complicated, but they Jews refuse to say the name of God out of reverence for God, and and so it got changed, and so they just say Adonai, um, and so it says the the Lord Adonai, our God, is Elohim, is the word it uses, and the and which the singular word for God to say. The Lord our God um, is is L is singular, okay. Allah is plural, and then you got this compound for more than two word that's Elohim. It's a masculine plural word, okay. And, and the and so the meaning of the Lord is one, okay. It's got Elohim is this is this masculine plural, um, but it's it's not a Plurality, uh, it, it, there's a tie-in of plurality with unity. Unity and plurality, okay? Because the meaning of the Lord is one, okay? When it says one, is this word ichad, okay? But one, does, it, it doesn't mean singular, it means unity. Even though it's the word one in Hebrew, okay? Unity and plurality, so united into one, is what's talking three distinct persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, but one God, united into one. So let, to help you understand, right, the first circle with God, me and God in our in our uh, circle, but then you get married, and the Bible says that you're to leave your father and mother and be joined with your spouse, and the two shall become what? One flesh, and it uses that same word, that ikad word, okay? And it doesn't literally mean that the two people morph into one singular human being, right? But it, it means these two are now united as one flesh. You see how that's worded? So that's what it's talking about with God. So we don't have a plurality of gods because Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are all God, are one God, united. It's one God, but the, but those three distinct... You know, the, the nation of Israel is one nation, but it's many people, right? That's the language, okay? So the great confession of Jews today includes the Trinity, 
even though a devout Jew does not believe in Jesus as we do, right? We do not believe in many gods, but only one God made up of Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Second, like Again, don't get hung up on the words. because there's, there's things we use to refer to certain doctrines that those words are not in the Bible, but the teaching is there. Okay, So the rest of this text, it says in verse 6, These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. Okay? So remember the intent here and what this is to teach us. You shall teach them diligently to your sons. This is, I think I mentioned that last week. I wrote that over my door a couple of years ago in my office. As I walk out and I go home, I remember not that it's a legalistic and that it's a, it's a hard thing. I wanted to do that because I had sons and so teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down or you go to bed and when you rise up, when you wake up in the morning, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand. And I, I think when it, when it goes from, um, here's all these things you're doing to writing on your hand on, in doorposts, it's just a, I think that's layers of concentric circles of how your discipleship and your influence goes all the way out to your community. I'll mention that again in a little bit, but you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and shall they shall be as frontals on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. So, so this gives you in here some great teaching opportunities as parents, okay? Not talking about another set Bible study with your family. Like, anybody got time for that? Let's plan one more Bible study, right? It's, we're already, like, crammed full. Um, most Christians don't read the Bible or have a love for it. Sad but true. Metallica, right? Why do I do that? Like, I, that bugs me sometimes. Like, I can't, I want to just start singing the songs and I can't, I have to be careful. Um, but most families don't have time Right? Most family, you just don't have time. Like, that's the, that's the thing that we come back to is I don't do these things. I don't read my Bible. I don't do this with my kids because when am I, I can't find time. It's just like life starts in the morning. I can't stop and, and then the day's done. So, so, so what are we talking about here? It's awesome that God would understand that and the instructions He gives us are not so plan another Bible study. Here's what you need to do. Make sure and get this study from uh, focus on the family and go through all this and you do this two hours a day. Right. It doesn't give you that kind of deal because I, because I understand this when school's getting ready to start. Right. When basketball starts with coal, I mean, and school is full blast, small groups on Wednesday nights, you calls at youth here on Wednesday nights. And I'm trying to do help out with Thornhill and, Nikki's got one, another small group at our house and, you know, a standing Thursday morning appointment in Kingsport that Nikki and I have to be at each week. And then you, you, you got to do house management, maintenance and management and grass cutting at some point, right? I mean, what do you do? We just, we, it, it is a, anybody with me on this? It's, it's just like, man, if we can get through the day and feed everybody, and get them a bath, and get them in bed by a certain time, it would just be nice, right? I mean, does anybody else feel that way? Okay? We, we just try to get, get through, and much less do another training union at the house, right? You might remember those days, training union, Sunday night. 
let's not just have Sunday night service, Sunday morning service, and Sunday school. Let's do training union or discipleship training and Wednesday night. Then I'm going to get into this, this study they're doing it called Experiencing God at Church. So you've you got like six things. Like So when we started this church, we were like, Sunday morning, small group, gathering large temple, gathering temple courts, Acts 2, from house to house. Those are the two primary things we saw in the New Testament and what the church did. So we have large gathering. This is what we do in the if they listen to the apostles' teaching in the in the temple courts, so this is what this is. And then small groups, house to house, doing life together, real fellowship, uh, real discipleship happening there. So that's why we do Sunday morning, Wednesday nights, and we don't try to load you down with here's three more studies you need to make sure and, and be ready for, and you better be a daily Bible reader, right? Because they're going to ask you to raise your hand, and we're going to put that on the board. <laughs> Confession time, okay? Right, you know where I'm going, right? Even back when I was a volunteer youth pastor, and they would say, "Okay, how many daily Bible readers? How many of you lied and raised your hand?" Oh, come on! Like some of you are like, yeah, "I did, but I'm not raising my hand. I'm in church, right?" I've I've done it before, right? I got a couple youth I brought with me, and they're looking at me, and it's just the pressure. Just the mercy of the Bible all this week, and I missed a day or something. You know, you know what I'm saying? And so it's it's tough. I don't I don't know. Some of you're like, what kind of deal is that? Okay, you had to confess before church if you read your Bible or not. And so, I mean, how how do we have have enough time for that? But but what did the Scripture say? It's awesome that God knows how this works and what's the best way to do it because it's more modeling than doing a class or doing a Bible study, right? Because it says, the Bible knows how it says, you shall talk of them when you sit in your house. How many of you sit in your house occasionally? Right? If you don't know what I'm talking about, it involves Netflix or some, right? Right? That's sitting in your house, okay? We all find time to like watch something, get out a tablet, you know, some kind of screen goes in front of our face, right? When you walk by the way, which is, for them, it was walking. For us, it's you driving. You're driving in the car. You're going somewhere, going to school, taking the kids to school, picking them up, going to some practice, driving here or there or wherever. When you lie down, and so we're getting ready to go to bed. When you rise, when you get up in the morning, when you rise up. Okay. So how how many of you sit in your house or drive your kids places or make breakfast or get them dressed in the mornings? There, and I understand there are mornings when a if I can just, if I can just find all their shoes and get them out the door, right? Where are like Kale? Find your shoes, buddy. Get your shoes on, okay? If if we can just accomplish that, right? Because he would go to school in his pajamas and those shoes if it was acceptable, right? We couldn't. Go to eat. Yes, I think it was yesterday. We were going to go to Subway, and we were like, "Kale's in his pajamas and no shoes." We're here at the church, you know. If I, if you can just get their shoes on and get to where you're supposed to go, there there are mornings that it's a struggle just to get out the door. But then there are mornings. You know how this is when it's like, "Hey, Saturday morning, let's make pancakes." Right? For us, it's M and M pancakes. A little mini M and M's. Drop them in there, and right. And we have time. Well, there are times during the week where it's, 
oh my gosh, they're all up earlier, early and we have 15 minutes left before we have to leave. Like, the Lord has blessed, right? You know, it all works out. And so you have that time, right? But what happens when we get in the car, when we pick them up, when we're going on a trip, when we're going to the dentist or doctor's appointment? What, what, what happens when we get in the car? All of a sudden the devices come out, right? And screens go in front of people's face, even in the car, right? And you give up the time this is talking about to those devices. You give it up. You sabotage your time for a discipling conversation. And that's what it's talking about. As you go about your life, turn that stuff off sometimes and just talk to your family. Okay? Make space apart from those things. We've got generations coming up that just don't know how to even do that. And that's causing part of the mental health problems we have in our country. I'm not getting political either. Okay? It's not the agenda. Okay? There's just... there's. Secular studies just as well that are just showing the impact of the kids walking around with the internet in their pocket with screens in front of their face all the time, especially late at night, right? Before bed, of the impact it's having on them, okay? And they don't know how to relate is part of the problem. So we need to be having conversations with them at mealtime, right? Can you at least sit down? And that's why we, Sunday nights, that was a big thing for us is we're going to do some specialized training. We have board meeting tonight. There's things that go on that we we do on Sunday night. But, but the thing is, we're not having any program stuff. There's no, no set thing that has to happen every Sunday night. So if you're not a part of a, a class here or a meeting that goes on on Sunday night, we're not saying take a night off. We're saying here, here's your church trying to empower you to sit down at the dinner table with your family. Okay? Because we could come here and have a Sunday, another Sunday night service and training union or discipleship training. And, but but we, we see the importance of and know how life goes. You've got at least one opportunity a week to sit down with your family. Everybody around the table, no TV on and talking to each other. Don't sabotage that time. Driving somewhere. As you live, as you go, and I know how it is. Like, okay? I know, I understand you're driving along, coming back from school, and I look at one of my kids, so how was, how was your day? Good. Okay. Anything interesting happen? No. Did you get in trouble? No. You sure? Right? That's, that's usually the extent of the conversation, right? How'd you get those holes in these your pants? Like, like that's the extent of the conversation, right? And it's like, it's like, it's a struggle to get any kind of conversation out. It's just, but it's time to listen. They may open up and share some things. It's it's time to ask. Here, here's where I would go with this: is is look for teachable moments. And teachable moments, I mean, just gospel-centered conversation. 
how do I take what they just said and not we're not talking about whipping your kids with the Bible. Please don't ever do that. But but just teachable moments where you can go, well, you know, and and you center it on the gospel. Okay? And, and we spend so much time, so much time training our kids in other things. We do. Okay? Sports, their school education, hobbies and so little time teaching them the things of God. That's a confession of mine too. Okay? I'm with you. So we just we look for te- teachable moments. And they may even moan as you get it, go that direction, right? And you'll have to work at the conversation with your kids. It, it takes effort, but it's worth it. Work on it. Don't beat them down on the way to school, but listen and let them talk And after school, on the way home. That's your job. That's what we're to do as parents. Gospel-centered conversation as you go. Everyday situations. Okay? So what is the heart of our teaching to our kids? It's what I just said. Gospel-centered, loving Jesus focus. Teach them the first circle that you have. But you can't, remember what I said last week, you can't, Give them something you don't have. Teach them the first circle. It says you shall bind them on as a sign on your hand and there shall be the frontals on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. All that is about keeping focus on the Lord. Don't forget, while you're doing life, don't miss the point. The point is, I love God as the center and I want to model that for my kids and I just want to point stuff back to that. You know, you know, I know that happened at school today and sometimes things aren't fair. You know, it wasn't fair to, to Jesus even that He had to die on the cross in my place for me, but I'm glad He did. And so sometimes, you know, the world's going to be messed up and people may have to absorb sin like Jesus did and be like Jesus. That's being like Jesus. When you take that in, you don't retaliate. You don't. It's called forgiveness. And, and that's a tough thing and I know it's not easy. You know, but sometimes as Christians especially, we, we have to show people that. And understand the joy that and the love of Jesus, just what that does for us, that we would show that to other people. You know? And I know that, that just sounded really mushy. But if you find a way, you know your kid. All the kids are different. So you have to find how do I conversate this and explain this to them? Right? Or you might just ask them in that scenario. So how, you know, so what do you what do you think as as Christians as you know what do you think maybe I would have done in that situation? What, what do you think maybe uh, someone who follows Jesus should do? Maybe you don't tell them. Maybe you let them figure it out, right? But you you get you do that gospel center your conversations. But, and don't miss the point. The point is, I love God as the center of my life. That's just going to ooze out. Right? Don't leave it with just the talk. you got to model it or your talk isn't going to matter. Right? And so we mess up. Anybody here as parents mess up? Right? We talked about that last week. You go a little too far with your discipline or you go a little too far with 
with the conversation. Don't parent exactly right all the time. But what that is is a great place to own it when we fail in front of our kids and show them how to do that part too. But hear me real quick. Here, here's the you know the the deal this morning is you love God and that's your focus all the time. It'll ooze out to these other circles to your kids. But but listen. Because this is something I, over 16 years of here, 18 years as a pastor in ministry, watching families and seeing these things happen, is you will not save your kids by your parenting. Okay? God does that. The power to save your kids is not yours. And so hopefully that takes a little pressure off. But at the same time, we're to be who we're supposed to be if we're following Jesus. And we will be held accountable for our parenting. But I will not be held accountable for my kids' salvation because I can't save them. I'm just accountable to them, but not for them. Okay? And you stay faithful and perhaps... See, as a lot do, where kids come back around to their faith later in life. But make sure they know you love and follow the Lord. Don't, don't just give them the IQ test, heaven or hell, right? Don't, don't just give them the, the heaven's great, Jesus there, He loves you, hell's bad, you know. Satan doesn't like you. He's going to torture you forever. You're going to burn. Okay, what do you want to do? Like anybody with a brain that it goes, well, if that's the options, I'm going with Jesus who loves me and I get to swing on the, you know, on a swing and ride bikes and stuff in heaven instead of burn. I'll just take that. And if grandma and grandpa are going to be there, that'd be even better, right? So, I mean, that, that's, that's an IQ test. That's not the gospel. That is not the gospel, right? And we and we we crank that out, and I and I get this. I, I get it. I, I understand. There's there's this draw to man. If I can just get my kids saved and get them baptized, they're going to heaven. It'll be okay. They can screw up the rest of their life, but I know they're going to heaven. Does it really work that way? I, I, I don't know. That's, that's why we're we're careful. I mean, don't, just don't get cranked up over your kid being able to recite a verse or tell you that Jesus died on the cross in your place for your sin. Jesus died for me on the cross. In, like, all three of my kids could tell you that. They, they, they could. But do they love the Lord and follow Him? That's the question. Right? It's a long-term deal, lifetime. And when it, and and so we're to model it in front of our kids. We keep it as the focus, and that'll drive what we do. If we really love the Lord, this won't be a whole lot of effort. You just gotta.
turn the stuff off and have conversations, right? And then when it gets to those verses, it talks about the doorposts, the gates of your house. It, it, as it oozes out and those things happen, I'm not saying you literally write that, but what that's saying is, is at some point, the community will be able to look at your house and go, that's what they're about. They love their kids. They love Jesus. They're following Him. I don't know if I agree with it, or I, but, but man, they're all in. I don't know if I have a question, I can go talk to them. Right? But it starts in the heart. You can't, you can't start out here with external ministry and think somehow that's going to be effective if the heart in the first part isn't correct. Right? But, but it goes back to... And I'm not saying just love God and have it... Yeah, pray. There's all those other things you do. You pray for your kids. I hope you pray for your kids. Yes, love them. Bless them. Which doesn't necessarily mean spoil them and give them things. Sometimes it's better for them if they don't get those things. But teach them diligently. Mostly Bible-centered gospel conversation. Yeah, teach them the Bible. The... the Certainly, it's interesting in this. It doesn't say it doesn't start with and make sure and teach them the Ten Commandments and they behave and say yes, ma'am and yes, sir. But it starts with here. Here's what's going to happen. You're going to love the Lord your God first, and then you're going to teach that to your kids. Right? Teach them the Word, and when it, when, it's, when it's teaching the Bible. I think we have a tendency sometimes to think that's just dry, monotonous Bible memorization, which memorizing Scripture is very good. Okay? But, but not a methodical, dry... I love how there's, Matt Chandler would explain it. He would say more like, you know, steeping in the Word, like a good cup of tea, right? You just drop that bag in there and you don't drink it right away. You just let it soak. Right? It's that kind of just steeping in the Word. Right? Don't go after knowledge with, with a disconnection from the heart. And I love how it says in the Great Commandment, Jesus says, love, the, love your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. I know here it says in, the, in this Deuteronomy 6, uh, heart, soul, and with all your might. But Jesus, his, that translation of what he says is with all your heart, soul, and mind. Right? It's interesting. So there's a heart and mind connection. Okay? So you can go, same thing with the, the Deuteronomy 6. It's, it's connecting heart, spirit, and physical, even your mind, right? It's a connection of, it's a whole, whole deal, not just knowledge. Okay? Would you start with that Shema or perhaps the Great Commission or maybe start with the Great Commandment? What's the Great Commandment? Is it the Ten Commandments? No. It's interesting that even in Deuteronomy he didn't say to teach the Ten Commandments to your kids. That's, But it says, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Teach that. Show them that. And so in Matthew 22, 36-40, like I was talking about, is where Jesus is asked. Somebody came to him and said, of all those commandments you gave in the Old Testament, what's, what's the greatest, what's the most important thing that we know, that we learn, 
What, what above everything else do you, should you want me to know that, that I should know about you and following you? And so, in verse 36, Matthew 22, it says, Teacher, which is the greatest, the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and prophets. He's saying, let me sum all this up because th that's not what it's about. That's not what it was ever about. And there was the law and there was priests and it had to be that way then and this, until Jesus came. And so now, but here's what the whole intent was. If you even go back to the Shema, it said, write these things on your heart. It's about being on your heart. It's about heart change. And so he says, it's about loving me. It's about loving the Lord with all your heart and soul and mind. And if you love me and you get that first circle right and you model, that'll just ooze out and it'll be modeled to your kids and your family and your, your friends. If you, if you get that right, everything else will take care of itself. And so there's that word love in there. So what is, what is love? Right, biblically. What is love? Love the Lord your God with all your heart. So love your neighbor as yourself. Right? That's what we're supposed to do. See, love is a verb, but when it's that is put into action and when it's acted upon, it becomes a noun. If you understand. Love is a decision that we make to do this. I'm gonna love you. I decide I'm gonna act in a way that's loving toward you whether I feel like it or not. The Bible doesn't really define this kind of love as a feeling, right? Lo it, this is a command, okay? Understand that? Love is a command that you're to do, especially for your family, your spouse for life, right? Whether you feel like it or not. That's why a couple can stand at the altar and say, I, I vow to do this for you till death do us part. I'm going to love you. Does that mean you're always going to feel like? I, I promise Nikki doesn't always feel like she loves me all the time, right? There's times I do things that the feeling evaporates in a moment, right? But I'm glad she chooses to love me in that moment anyway, regardless of her feeling. That's real godly love, okay? It's, it's what we're talking about, okay? Whether you feel like it or not. If you love somebody long enough, you act in a loving way, eventually those feelings will get themselves in line because where your treasure is, what you value, what you love, your heart's going to come in line with that, right? What you act in, lo in love toward. If you invest in something, that's you're going you're gonna to value it, right? You're going to hope it's worth something. So, so if I act in love towards my spouse, regardless how I feel, eventually those feelings will line up, right? We don't always feel like we love the Lord every day, but we do what we're supposed to, and that is loving the Lord, right? And so we said it all starts in the center with you loving the Lord. It all hinges on and is dependent on your relationship with God. So your discipleship of others, including your family, 
is dependent on your personal, yet public, relationship with God through Jesus, empowered by the Holy Spirit, the triune God. Okay? So fill your life with things that drive you toward God. I mean, there's, there's times when you can look back and go, man, I did this, and I, or I, I got, you know, I was listening to this music, and I was reading the scripture, I was in the setting, you know, I made a cup of coffee, and I was sitting on the back porch, or, and there's, there's things that you do that stir your affections for God. Do those things. Don't neglect those things. Right? Fill your life with things that drive you toward God. But what do we usually cut first when things get busy? The very things that are driving us toward God. I mean, I'm a pastor. I see it. You know this. Like, I don't have to sit up here and go, hey, did you know that the first thing people cut when they get really busy is church? They stop serving. They stop coming. Right? They get into other hobbies. They get into other things. They they add things onto their plate and something has to come off the plate. You only got so much time. And so what usually gets taken off the plate first is the primary thing. I'm talking like that. I don't have to go to church. We're going to do this, so I just won't serve anymore. Let's not go anymore. Let's not. We can miss this Sunday. Hey, Nikki, I will... I will be able to be here this week. Hey Marty, I won't be able to be here this week. Hey, and and it and you handicap the church because you've loaded your plate up and you're just taking something off the plate. I know I'm stepping on toes. Like I know I understand. Okay, and I get it. Okay, there's times I go, man, I just can't. I can't put another thing on the plate. I can't. So what do I cut? Just don't, just don't know what. You got to figure out what those priorities are. You got to say, do I believe what the word says and what's best, or do I just go with culture in the world and what the timetable's like and how all that works, and hope my kids turn out okay. Give them an IQ test, get them dunked, and maybe it'll all work out. And, and I'm ta- I, and I say I try to say that with all love and grace that I can, because I I know you're sitting back there going, man, he's really trying to run some people off. I'm not, I'm not. Okay. It's just what happens. Fill your life with things that stir your affections towards God. Why is it that the requirements for biblical leadership, pastoring, eldership, what's what's the primary thing it talks about right up front? How your family is, how you're loving your family, how you doing with is your they have their household in order? Why? Because that's getting real close to that core, right? That's the next screen. And so it should be evident in that first ring that 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 center is there. Because if it's not in here, it's probably not in here. It can't be some external thing going on out here where we're just playing some deal. 
and it not not be affecting some of this inner inner circle stuff. It's, it's saying this is where it starts. Okay. It's a byproduct of loving the Lord that it just shows in the family, right? So remember that the result of that love is you're going to be discipling others, starting with your family, teaching them to treasure and love the Lord above all else. So we have to model that. We have to show them that. This whole deal about, you know, because I've done this a long time too, and there's that whole, I'll send them to church, I'll take them to church, so maybe they'll turn out better than I did, or, or it's good for them that I do this for them. Right? There's some of that going on. That, that's going to backfire on you. It doesn't show them by example in, unless you're bringing them and living it in front of them at the same time. Ha, you know, having re respectful, morally upright, yes ma'am, no ma'am kind of kids, well-to-do families, is not helping your kids. That's just... It's not helping them if they don't learn to love the Lord. Right? That's just moralizing your family. Nice family. We have fun together. They, they say yes ma'am, no ma'am, you know, and successful in life. But if you don't and they don't have Jesus, it won't matter. The fullest life possible is found in Christ. Okay? So are you living for and loving the Lord our God, the Lord who is one? If not, we could start today. So I want us to just spend a little time in prayer as we close. And I'm not sure where that falls with you. Maybe it starts in that first circle. And you just need to say, you know what, I've, maybe I took the IQ test at one point in my life. Or maybe you don't believe at all. I don't know where you are with that. There's so many people I've just taken the IQ test, and but there's been no life change, no heart change. It's obvious they're not following the Lord. It's obvious they're not... They may say they believe, but there's just no difference in their life whatsoever. I would seriously evaluate that if that's you. And you just need to come... I've, I've had conversations even this past week with people who are... Man, I just... I, I, I did that. Prayed the prayer, walked an aisle, joined the church, got baptized, no life change, thought I was okay. And and ten years later, I, I had this very conversation with two different people and realized ten years later, I didn't get it at all. But man, now it's different. And I love Him and I'm following Him and it's I cannot believe what I didn't see before. This did the IQ test. Just prayed the magic prayer, right? Do you love the Lord your God with, with all your heart, soul, mind, strength? If not right now, you just turn to Him. You, you just, it, it's in His hands to save you, but you, you just turn to Him and, and receive that. It's, you're turning that repentance thing, you're turning from yourself and your sin, and you're turning to Jesus as now Lord of your life, you are the one I'm following. You are in control of my life. You died for me, so I'm going to live for you. Thank you for dying on the cross in my place for my sin, that I could be forgiven of that sin, that the Holy Spirit could then come inside of me and change my heart, and I would begin to just be pulled towards you and follow you. 
and have this fullest life possible that's found in Jesus. Or maybe today you just need to make a commitment. You say, I I know I love the Lord. I know I follow Him. And maybe I've started to drift and not follow Him as I should. And I need to model it better for my kids. I need to have those conversations with my kids. I need to be more committed to the Lord. I need to I need to get back to, I need to get my plate right. I, whatever it is, that right now you would just have that conversation with God. Let Him speak to you. And tell you where that is. Say, God, just show me where I'm not getting this right. Father, by Your power, by the Holy Spirit, would You just empower these parents? Would You empower brothers and sisters? Would You empower people to disciple each other in this church? Whether they have family here or not, that they would just speak words of encouragement be there for one another, build each other up. Father, would we just be committed to what matters most? And so, Father, speak to us. Show us. And may we model that for our kids. May we pass this on to the next generation. May we, who have had an exodus, be that Deuteronomy for the next generation. So Father, we, we just say we love You. We thank You for how You teach us, for what You show us in Your Word. May we not neglect it. Because it was given at such a price, Your Son Jesus, that we could have what we have with You, this relationship. So we pray all this in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen.